Well, friends, good morning. It's great to be with you this day, another day that we get to look at God's word. Today, we're going to be continuing where we left off last week in the book of Acts. So if you'd like to get your Bibles out, please do so and turn to Acts chapter 19. That's Acts 19. And we're going to be moving through verses 1 to 20 today. So let's take a look at this great text of scripture this morning. Acts 19, starting with verses 1 to 7. Friends, in verses 1 to 7, we hear of the Apostle Paul encountering some disciples in Ephesus. Now, there's about 12 of these men, and they had been acquainted only with the baptism of John the Baptist, who really was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Now, John's baptism... John's baptism of repentance, it called people to turn from their sinful ways and it told people that they needed to be made clean, right? That the king was coming and that they needed a bath. So Paul explains in verse four that John's baptism pointed to and was preparing the way really for Jesus ultimately, this baptism of repentance, Now, you can think of these 12 or so men that you see here in verses 1 to 7 as the last of the Old Testament believers, right? These these last Old Testament believers. Now, surely, while some Old Testament believers had been empowered for ministry by the Spirit, right? Think of the the select few, the Moseses, the Davids, the the priests, the prophets, the kings, right? Some had been empowered um, for ministry by the Holy Spirit, But these men here in our text had yet to have the Holy Spirit empowering them for ministry, had yet to receive the Holy Spirit poured out on them to empower them, to equip them for ministry. So in verses 1 to 7 here, friends, we see what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit take place in these men. We'll see this in verses 1 to 7. And we've seen this before, friends, so far in Acts. Right in Acts so far, we've seen this reality from Pentecost onward. Remember, friends, that Acts really is the story of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all believers, right? Equipping all believers for gospel ministry. So these these believers here, these the last of the Old Testament believers here, they believed in the promises of God. But they hadn't heard of the Holy Spirit. They hadn't fully understood the reality of the new covenant just yet. And it says in the text, they only knew John's baptism. And so in verse 4, Paul explains the full story to them. And now they have this right understanding as believers in Christ. They're baptized in Christian baptism, which is the sign of the new covenant, right? A sign of their new birth. And then we see Paul, the apostle, he lays hands on them. This is in a unique way here in Acts. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. The Holy Spirit then empowers these men for ministry. We see this in the way that they prophesy and they speak in tongues, which are just two manifestations of the many spiritual gifts that the New Testament speaks about. And we've seen this before in Acts, right? When the Spirit comes upon people right so here in the text they 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 prophesy they speak in tongues and what we need to know friends is, is that these are not the only gifts of the spirit right there's other places in scripture that make it clear that there are spirit-filled believers that exercise different gifts 
right? Not all believers have the exact same spiritual gifts for ministry. Some have the gift of wisdom, right? Some have gifts of knowledge or faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation. Some have the gifts of teaching or serving or preaching or administration or leadership or mercy, right? There are many different gifts and one in the same spirit who works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Now, so here's the point then, friends. The Holy Spirit equips different people in different ways with different gifts. The Holy Spirit equips all believers, empowers all believers for gospel ministry, right? To the end that God is glorified, that Christ is exalted, and that people are saved. And that's the whole point. It's not to draw attention to the gift, but to exalt Christ, to build up the church, ultimately that the gospel goes forward. Now, just a quick theological note in regards to this baptism of the Holy Spirit that we hear about. And we spoke about this a little bit last week, and we've been seeing this reality through the book of Acts, this this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, in church history, and specifically in modern church history, there's been some people in some churches that have taken this passage in Acts 19 and have falsely taught that Christians, you know, they may be saved, they may be believers, regenerate of heart, but that not all Christians have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? So some, some people wrongly apply what happens here in Acts 19 to the church in all places and all times, But remember, friends, there's something unique happening here in the book of Acts, right? There's something unique happening here. So to to apply this concept to the church throughout all all ages, this undervalues ultimately what we've already seen fulfilled in the book of Acts, which culminates all right here in Acts chapter 19 with the, the last of these Old Testament believers, Right? This is not something to be applied to all New Testament believers across all ages, but there's something unique happening here in Acts. Now, just a side note, as I said last week, throughout Acts, what we've seen, friends, is that in the last days, this prophecy of Joel 2 is coming to pass. Right? This is what we see here in Acts 19, and we've seen in the book of Acts in general, this last day's outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Right, that in the last days God would pour out his spirit on all flesh, right, on all believers. So throughout Acts, remember throughout Acts what we've seen so far. There's been all different categories of people receiving the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit poured out and equipping them for ministry, right? For example, at Pentecost, we saw the Jewish believers receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And moving forward from there, we saw the Samaritans. Uh, We saw the God-fearing Greeks, right? The Spirit poured out on them. And Gentiles, and now culminating here in Acts 19 with these Ephesian Gentiles, the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Here's the point. Here's the point of the book of Acts. We see in the book of Acts, friends, that all believers are empowered for ministry. That all believers have the Spirit poured out on them. So the point for us this morning to remember theologically is there. There is no second blessing, okay, that hasn't come yet for the body of Christ, but that all of us believers, friends, every single one of us is empowered for ministry, 
and has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember the book of Acts. This is the fulfillment of Joel 2. All believers are empowered, right? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, right? So think of the Old Testament for a second. In the Old Testament, the spirit regenerated believers, right? Caused them to be born again. The spirit dwelt in and among them in one sense, but the spirit wasn't present in all of his fullness in believers before Christ, Now, in the Old Testament, there were some believers, right, a select few who were equipped for spirit-empowered ministry. But in the New Testament, friends, all believers are. All believers are empowered. All All believers are equipped for ministry, right? Jews and Gentiles. That's what we see here in Acts. Acts shows us this reality. Jews and Gentiles, part of the church. Culminating here in Acts 19, From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the end of the earth, the whole body is empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of Christ. Now in Acts, we see the fulfillment ultimately of God's promises here regarding the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And now we can know this, friends, with certainty that as part of our conversion, we are spirit-born, right? God causes us to be born again gives us a faithful heart that believes, the Spirit indwells us, and we are Spirit-baptized, right? The Spirit is poured out on us and empowers us for gospel ministry, right? We We are all empowered for gospel ministry. If you are in Christ, friends, you are part of the body of Christ that the Spirit has been poured out on. That's what we see here in the book of Acts. So now we must consciously live out of this reality, being shaped by God's word, right? Being in prayer, desiring the gifts of the spirit. So a couple questions for us this day. Do you set your mind on the things of the spirit? What's your ministry? How has the spirit empowered you to share the good news? Are you leaning on the Holy Spirit who is the comforter? to lead you, to guide you into all truth. What are your spiritual gifts? How has the Spirit empowered you? How will you use your spiritual gifts for God's glory? Do you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. As the Spirit dwells in you, are you growing in holiness and putting sin to death by the Spirit? How, can, how do you know that you've been born again and baptized by the Spirit as part of your conversion? Well, one, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because after all, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit, right? And two, we remember what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians. Now, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul is writing to the exact same church from Acts 19, right, from our passage here. Paul is writing to the same church in Ephesus. Remember, in Acts 19, we are encountering the last of the Old Testament believers. That's why something unique is happening here with how the Spirit is being poured out, right? And we've seen this in Acts up to this point. But in Ephesians 1, we see the 
regular pattern for New Testament believers going forward. The normative pattern. Ephesians 1 verse 13 to 14 says this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Right? When you believed the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Believer in Christ, if you are truly in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. All believers have been born again and baptized by the Holy Spirit, empowered for gospel ministry as part of your conversion. You can know that if you're in Christ. Okay, let's move forward. Thanks for bearing with me with that. It's an important concept that we see culminate in the book of Acts in Acts 19. Let's move forward more quickly. Verses 8 to 12, we see the reality of God, the Holy Spirit, at work in the Apostle Paul. Right? He's speaking boldly. He's reasoning. He's persuading others about the kingdom. Some, of course, hear the gospel and they reject it. Right? They're in their hardness of heart. Friends, ultimately, when that happens in our life, when we share the gospel with others, we have to pray that God gives them a new heart. Right? We can't argue someone into the kingdom, but, but they need a new heart. Right? They need to be born again. We have to go to that in prayer that God would grant them a new heart and grant them the faith to believe. So we see in Acts uh, 19, 8 to 12, Paul takes up residence in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So for a couple of years, Paul is exercising his gifts, uh, his spiritual gifts, his gifts of preaching and teaching so that Jews and Greeks would hear the gospel of Christ, right? That all flesh would hear the word. Then look at verses 11 to 12. 11, and in verses 11 to 12, we hear of God doing these extraordinary miracles through Paul. Remember, God's doing these miracles through his apostle Paul. Now, this is during this, again, specific unique time, right? Acts is very unique, friends, this specific time in the apostolic era. These extraordinary miracles happening through Paul, right? Not normal, unusual miracles is another translation. Important to note, friends, that these were miracles done through the apostle by God, right? God's doing the miracles through the apostle Paul. There are no apostles alive today, so this is something unique that's happening here. Well, why is this happening? This is ultimately, friends, the risen Christ working through his apostles, right? The miracles in this time period would make it clear to people that what the apostles were teaching was true, right? That the apostles were true authorities showing the validity of apostolic teaching. But now, friends, we, we have the teaching of the apostles right here, right? In the New Testament scriptures, we have the teaching right here, right? We don't have to look for signs and miracles because we have the apostolic authoritative word right here in the scriptures. So with looking at this passage, if you ever hear a televangelist asking you for money and if, you know, you give them a certain amount of money, they'll send you a handkerchief, run. Because there are no more apostles alive today. But we do have the apostolic word. It's right here. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that God no longer works miracles. He's always at work. He always is at work. But we don't need to go looking for signs and wonders. Instead, we look to the word of God written. 
and we experience ultimately the great miracle of our salvation that we have in Christ. Okay, let's move forward. Keep trucking along here. Verse 13 to 17. So verse 13 to 17. This place, this place, Ephesus, was the site of the famous temple of Artemis. And this place, friends, we got to put ourselves in this text. It was riddled with pagan and occult practices. Right? This is the background in which everything is happening here, this story. In the ancient times here, if we look at verses 13 to 17, it was common practice to use magical names to drive out evil spirits. And so we hear of these Jewish exorcists in Ephesus, and they decide to invoke the name of Jesus over those who were possessed by the evil spirits. These sons of the high priest Sceva, they did this sort of thing. They're ultimately occultists, really. And in this account, when they did this, the evil spirit called their bluff, right? The evil spirit perceived that Sceva's sons lacked true faith in Jesus and therefore had no authority to invoke his name. So then we hear in, again, verse 13 to 17, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and attacked them and stripped them of their garments and beat them and they fled, right? It didn't go well for them. Important for us to remember, friends, the saving power of Jesus' name is conveyed not by reciting its syllables, but by trusting in the person who bears the name. Right? It's not just about saying words, but believing in your heart. Now, we can apply this to many things, friends. We, we actually have to mean and believe what we say, whether that's in prayer, whether that's in our liturgies. Right? We, we actually have to mean what we say. Or in this case here, in verses 13 to 17, this instance in Scripture, this casting out of demons. Do you actually trust Jesus, unlike these sons of Sceva here? Friends, may our words be full of real faith in Christ, ultimately. Okay, let's end with verses 18 to 20. Verses 18 to 20. There's a lot packed into this, this passage. We've been kind of moving back and forth. At Acts 19, 18 to 20, we hear of these converts from the occult, right? From what we would call in our modern times, new age spirituality. And friends, in our world today, this occult, this new age spirituality has resurged in a big way. Much of what the world calls spirituality is actually rooted in the dark spirituality of the New Age movement, right? It's rooted in the occult. There are satanic practices going on. Now, what are some examples of this? Well, magic, of course, magic arts, Wicca, witchcraft, Eastern meditation, Eastern mysticism, yoga, the law of attraction, pagan mysticism, astrology, oracle cards, psychics, mediums, crystals, magic arts, Right? That's what we see here in the text. Magic arts, right? Friends, we must stay clear of these things as believers in Christ. Verses 18 and 19, we're told that these brand new believers, they used to be occultists, right? But they changed their minds, right? They repented, right? Repentance to change the mind, change your mind and know that their change of direction, friends, it wasn't just a mental ascent to doctrine, Right? It wasn't just a mental ascent to doctrine, but their repentant faith in conversion actually changed the way that they lived. Right? It changed the media that they consumed. 
right? They didn't just call themselves Christians, but kept their secular New Age practices around. No, they burned the books. We see this in 18 to 20, verses 18 to 20. They burned the books. They got rid of anything in their life from their life before Christ that was false, right? They burned the books. They destroyed it. They got rid of it because they wanted Christ and Christ alone, right? They wanted the truth, and so they immediately got rid of the false. They gave up falsehood. And here we see that true life change, friends, is the fruit of true belief. If you say you believe, if you truly believe, there's gonna be life change. So here's the question for, for us, for me, for you. What books do you need to burn? What things must you get out of your life as a believer in Christ? What books, what media, what habits, what practices, what financial choices, what what must you turn from and destroy? And in the text, friends, we see these new believers, they could have sold their magic books for a high price, right? For a pretty penny. These weren't just parchments, but, but they are books. And imagine this, in the ancient world, books, This was expensive stuff, right? These books were pricey, but they didn't sell their books. They would not lead others astray just to make a quick buck, right? They would not engage in false business practices that would make them a quick buck, but because these books were ultimately handbooks that would only lead others on a path of destruction and hell. But these new believers, they loved Christ, not money, Right? They, they didn't care about worldly gain and riches because they had Jesus. That's all they cared about. Jesus was the main thing. Who cares about worldly riches? If you have Christ, you possess all things in him. Instead, these believers, they, they walked away from their old ways and old influences. They destroyed the falsehood in their life. Friends, they counted the cost. They trusted Christ. So, We cannot dabble in the things of Satan and the things of God. Now, this is personal for me, friends, because before I was saved, I was searching and reading about New Age practices. I used to be involved in Eastern meditation and and yoga, but no matter how much meditation, not biblical meditation, no matter how much meditation I did, I still felt this emptiness inside. The answer to the deep longing of my soul was not found by looking within myself with some sort of delusion that I was perfect and I had to just awaken this reality. I did not find the enlightenment that Eastern mysticism speaks of. But when God made me realize that I was actually imperfect and that this deep longing of my soul would only be satisfied by putting my trust in the perfect one, Christ, then everything started to make sense. Then everything made sense. What I had always been longing for was God, right? He is the one, friends, whom your soul has always longed for. But I was looking for God in the wrong places, right? In the magic books. And then he saved me out of it by his grace. Friends, where are you looking for God in the wrong places? I was confronted with the truth of the word of God. And just like at the end of the text in verse 20, the, world, the word prevailed mightily in me, right? The word increased, it, it changed my life. Friend, may the word of God prevail mightily 
in you as well. Forget the magic books. Forget the allures of the secular world. The longing of your soul is this longing for God, for the things of God. God the Father who sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life that you couldn't live and to die the death that you deserved, paying the penalty for your sins. And he rose from the grave in victory. And friend, he offers you forgiveness, his perfect record, and life. Life eternal. Friend, do you want to truly live? Then die to yourself. Repent. Change your mind. Believe in Christ. You've been longing for God. You can experience the joy of your salvation. The joy of everlasting life. As you follow Jesus now. And as you abide in him daily. Consciously. Setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, experiencing the joy of your salvation in your heart by faith, as the Spirit of God, friend, works within you and brings you to the heavenly kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reality of the gospel. Convict us, Lord. Help us to press into your mercy. Lead us, Holy Spirit, into all truth. Empower us for gospel ministry. It's in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.